This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 283, and I'm talking with Sarah Vaughn. Sarah is a 1,500-meter runner. She ran for the University of Colorado, and she is the mother of four. Okay, she had her first baby while attending the University of Colorado, and finished college and has gone on to run super competitively over these last 14 years. That's right, 14 years. And during those 14 years, she's had three more babies. She made the world championships team and competed in London in 2017 in the 1500 meters. And also in 2012, she made the world indoor championships team and competed in Istanbul. She is a full-time realtor and still runs competitively. She is in really great shape right now. She's coached by her husband, Brent, who is also a competitive runner. And it was super fun to get to know their family a little bit more and a little bit more about their life in this episode. Sarah has been someone I probably should have interviewed like three years ago. I don't know why I'm just now doing this, but I felt super connected to her in this conversation and am grateful for being able to interview people like Sarah who inspire me and hopefully inspire you as well. There is quite a bit of parent talk in this episode because we both have four kids and I got really excited and wanted to ask her all the questions about that. So I hope you enjoy that and we get to learn about what her training's looking like now and her hopes and goals for the future with running. She is super fit, running high mileage and feeling good right now. So it's a really exciting time for Sarah. Hey, before we get started talking with Sarah, I want to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this podcast. They have been supporting this show for four years now. They were one of my very first sponsors and they make the best, the cutest, most comfortable compression socks out there. This is a woman-owned company and it is the best place to get compression socks. Whether you're training for a marathon, you just want to get comfortable, put your feet up, you want to give a gift to the runner friend in your life, check out Lily Trotters. When you go to lilytrotters.com, you can use the code ANOTHER and get 25% off your order. Thank you, Lily Trotters, and go support Lily Trotters, everybody. Go get yourself a pair of compression socks. All right, friends, make sure if you are loving the show, you leave us a rating and review. I know you probably get sick of hearing me ask you to do that, but if you haven't done so yet, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy my conversation with Sarah Vaughn. Today on the podcast, I have a guest coming on that is long overdue. I'm so excited to have Sarah Vaughn on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. How are you today? What is going on in your life today? I am doing well. It's very cold here in Boulder. Um, It was like nine degrees on my run this morning, but we are very grateful for snow in October because of the forest fires. So I'll take it. I've never been so excited for October snow, (laughs) Um, but, but it was worth it. Oh, that's a really good point. Okay. That's a really, really good point. I heard nine degrees and I thought, whoa, oh my goodness, but there's good reasons for that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's been helpful with the fires and I was supposed to work out this morning, but it's supposed to get up to 40 this afternoon. So we, we swapped. 
Yeah, it's cold here. I'm in Indiana. I mean, I I think it's 40 here, but that feels cold to me for October. Um, Yeah. Okay, so you didn't run this morning. You're running this afternoon. I did. I just did a shakeout this morning doing a workout this afternoon. Okay. I saw that you just ran like 18 miles on Instagram and you had a really good workout. I did a 19 mile long run last, yeah, last week. Um, So definitely still in that like building phase, which is typical for this time of year, but I still feel like I'm like doing one long build up after having the baby um, last August. So I finally feel like I'm getting back to my old self um, and that mileage is where it would normally be for me this time of year. I haven't quite uh, done that to this point postpartum. Yeah. Do you feel like postpartum one year is typically when you things start kind of clicking better? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's been a little more rushed for uh, previous babies uh, just because of the calendar. You know, Olympic trials don't move. And typically <laughs> this year, it was actually kind of uh, great that they did for yeah. me personally. But um, but usually I'm like rushing to get back and, and things start to feel good after maybe six months. And then like I usually get another jump whenever I stop nursing. Um, and I was able to nurse a little bit longer this time. So that it was a little more relaxed and slower comeback. Um, but that was welcomed. Yeah. How long did you nurse this baby? Uh, he just kind of self-weaned like last week. Oh, wow. So he's 14 months. Wow. Yeah. Okay, let's um let's walk back and introduce you to the guests, the listeners if they don't know your story. Um, you know, I'm the mom of four as well, so I think it's so fun to be interviewing another mom with four kids. And in fact, when you in, when you announced that you were pregnant, um, I guess it was almost 2 years ago now if he's one, year and a half or something like that. I was so excited. I was like, "Oh, she's joining the four mom club, the four kid mom club." I know, it's a rare club. Yes. <laughs> But you have spread these babies out. I mean, you have been momming for a long time. Yeah, we stretched out our parenting years quite a bit. Our oldest is is 14, so we've been doing this a while. Another 18 years, 17 years to go right? now. <laughs> I know I was thinking about that. I was like, man, there's like so many blessings either way, right? Like you, you're momming totally. for so many years, but then again, like you also have a 14-year-old who can totally babysit, I'm sure. So pretty you have like- Pretty self-sufficient. Yeah, pretty helpful. I agree. There's there's pluses and minuses for, for having them close together and far apart and- it's just how we started and it's just kind of how we kept going. So Yeah. Um, well, not to mention too, I feel like as a mom, like postpartum, when you have your babies closer together, you're kind of in this like cyclical phase where you're just constantly like, baby, postpartum, get back in shape, baby, postpartum, get back yeah. in shape. And you kind of like spread those moments out. But then um, I'm sure that going through that process when you're so far removed from it is also really difficult. Yeah, it's been nice though to have a couple of years where I had my body to myself in between yes. and kind of like felt felt like I could get back to to me and then start over. Yeah, it's weird every pregnancy, especially this most recent one. It's like you kind of forget what it's like to be pregnant when it's four or five years apart. Um, but yeah, it it it's good to kind of have those breaks in between. I've I've enjoyed my pregnancies spread out that way. Okay, so let's talk about that. People are probably wondering how old is she if she's a fourteen year old. You had your first baby in college uh, while yeah. you were training. You were on the on the team in college. So talk to us about that experience. I'm sure that that was unexpected. And here you are now today with four kids, you know, 14 years later. Um, share about that time in your life and kind of how you walked through that. 
Sure. So yeah, I got pregnant when I was 19. Um, I was a sophomore. It was my actually, it was my first year at the University of Colorado. Um, and it was definitely a surprise. Uh, I mean, I could go so many different directions with this story, but I think the bottom line is like, statistically, it's really hard to stay in school and graduate when, um, when you have a baby, you know, when you're 20 years old. Um, so I was able to do that with a lot of help and I was, you know, really fortunate in a lot of ways to have a supportive partner and coaches. Um, but it was definitely like uncharted territory for a lot of the administration and like teachers, professors, things like that. Um, so it was pretty eye opening, and it led to a lot of research about, you know, parenting undergraduates and like the, the challenges they face and, and how there's just not, I don't know, there's just not a lot of stuff in place to help them along the way. Yeah. How, how did you do it? Did you have support from your family, like outside of your husband now, your boyfriend at the time? Um, support, like moral support. Yes. You know, nobody lived close enough to like Mm. babysit a ton or whatever. So we, we had lots of babysitters. We had a whole team of babysitters, but we also hired, you know, a nanny and Brent's family was in Aurora. So just like a 45 minute drive, they helped quite a bit. So yeah, I mean, our family is very supportive and, and Brent was, was awesome. Um, we like logistically, we did a lot of trading off. So he would take morning classes, then we would have practice and then I would take night classes so that we could minimize our babysitting hours. So really we only hired a babysitter for being at practice when we were both gone at the same time, um, which was awesome because we only had, you know, 10 hours or 12 hours a week of babysitting to pay for. But we also never saw each other for like mm. those two years. I mean, it was constantly switching off and then I would stay up late and do homework. He would get up early and do homework. I mean, it was, <laughs> we were literally on opposite schedules, but we made it work and we both got to spend a lot of time with our kid, which I think was a blessing also. I just like truly can't imagine. My parents had myself and my sisters really young and we talk about it all the time because I'm 37 now and I think my mom was like 39 when I graduated high school and I'm like, I just can't imagine, you know, because my kids are so little now. But I also can't imagine um, being emotionally capable to deal with a child that young, even though there are kids that have babies when they're 15, 16, you know. Um, Yeah, I think you just do what you have to do in the moment. It wasn't something that I like overanalyzed. It was scary when you're pregnant and trying to to plan for things. But, you know, there was also like such excitement. Um, and we just stayed focused on like the blessing side of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was super scary, but you just like each semester brought a new set of challenges, you know, each month with the baby, you know, when she started crawling, started walking, everything was just so new. You're constantly coming up with a new plan and you're just really in the moment. Like you can't think about, I don't know, for me, I was so jam packed. I've never, I'm busy now, but I have never been to the minute booked like I was in college with a baby. Um, so you just, I just didn't have time to think about, about what was next or how I was doing it. I just did what I needed to do at that moment. Well, it serves you well now working full time, competing at a high level yeah. with four kids. That yeah. is a great lesson at 20. Yeah, exactly. What was next for you then? I mean, as you finished college and you, and like you said, like statistically, the fact that you went and graduated college and you even graduated in only four years, um, that statistically isn't very likely to happen. So then what were, what were your next plans as far as professional running? And like, did you ever think, am I still going to pursue this? Um, I think 
running wise was just a really big question mark for me. Um, I was focused on taking advantage of my scholarship to get my degree. Um, that was the ultimate goal for me. So to do that, I had to, you know, remain eligible, keep competing. And I felt like I needed to continually earn my scholarship until I graduated. Um, and then, you know, I left a year of eligibility on the table because my husband graduated and, you know, we kind of, we moved a little bit outside of Boulder. We bought a house. We were just kind of moving on with life. And I ended up just sort of being his constant tag along. Um, I'd go to practice when he went to practice. I'd even go to races and sign up for the same meets. So I think that it like post collegiately, it wasn't really me like forging ahead with what I thought was going to be a professional career. It was just like, well, I still really like running and I'm still getting faster. Um, so I just kind of kept going. Um, and I think, you know, looking back, leaving a year of eligibility on the table might've been a mistake. Mm. You know, I ended up running pretty fast my first year out of college, which maybe would have led to some sponsorship deals or whatever. But, um, you know, I had a pretty small deal, uh, that I earned that first year out of college and I lost it anyway when I, when I had my second baby. Mm. So I'm not sure. Adidas, right? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know what would have happened, but yeah, professionally it was just sort of like friends doing this and it was really about him and his career at the time. Um, I was just on board with that, but I was just kind of going through the motions with him and it, it served me pretty well too. So if you showed up to meets that he was already competing at, would you just like hand off the baby? Like, here you go. My turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we actually, we had a lot of help from family during that time too. Like at the beginning of every season, I would group email his parents, uh-huh. his sisters. Like we had a, my, one of my cousins would babysit for us before she had her kiddos. She would come spend the weekend with my kids. Um, and my, you know, my mom and I would send out this group email and say, okay, these are the weekends we're going to be gone. Everybody sign up for a weekend. And <laughs> what grandparent doesn't want to take their kids? for the weekend anyway. So it all worked out. So first of all, is your husband still, is he still competing? You know, he never officially retired, okay. but, uh, and I think he's harboring some hopes of running a marathon, um, pretty competitively again someday, but he's had a lot of like down years, we'll say. Okay. Ha- has he run a marathon? He's, uh, attempted to run a marathon a couple of times. Um, I just got a call. Did that mess anything up? No, you're good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so he's attempted to run. So he qualified for the marathon trials back in 2012. Okay. He has had like this just really unfortunate bad luck with the marathon. So he was in Houston. I was there with him. They gave them shoe tags with zip ties, like actual zip ties from Home Depot type of zip ties. And he zip tied his thing to his shoe and uh, by halfway, it had cut the top of his foot. It like sawed through his sock and cut his skin on the top of his foot. And his shoe was like full of blood. I don't know how much blood oh. he lost, but when I saw him at like 12 miles, he was leaving a bloody footprint. So it had like saturated his, anyway, he dropped out Wow. <laughs> um, at like 19 miles, um, that race. And then the next, Next time he gave it a go was later that year, New York, 2012, which was the year of the storm and it got canceled and he was very fit, uh, that year. And then he ended up delaying a couple of weeks, maybe a month or six weeks to go to Fukuoka in Japan and like tweaked his hamstring like two weeks after New York and went anyway. I don't think he DNF'd like halfway through. So those have been his two marathon experiences. I think actually his body and his talents are made for the marathon. He's just had a couple of 
bad go. He's running a really fast half. He's he's around like 61 minutes or something. Oh, wow. Like really? 61. Yeah. Yeah. And listeners should know your husband's like not on social media, right? No, he um, he has a Twitter account that okay. has been inactive largely for like five or six years. He used to tweet like his like, I don't know, race results and some random stuff. But no, he doesn't. he's not on social media because I just for the average listener, they might be thinking, well, why don't you look this stuff up? I'm like, well, he does not. He doesn't leave a very heavy footprint on the Internet. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, I mean, he's got, yeah, he's got some interviews out there, but yeah, no, he's not super active on social media. It's not his jam. I thought it was so funny. I don't know if you tweeted it or you put it on Instagram, but you said that he like got on your profile and then you were showing him a picture of someone and he liked a picture from like two years ago. Yeah, it was a teammate, a college teammate of ours. I was like, oh, look at her. How, look how cute this picture is. And then he went to her account and started, started scrolling back through the years and liked a photo from years ago. I was like, mortified. That's like your work. What have you done? Yeah. It's like, well, at least it wasn't like an ex-boyfriend or something like that of yours. Right. Could have been worse. Could have been worse, but. Could have been way worse, but. Any at any rate, like whoever that was was thinking you were definitely creeping on her. Exactly. <laughs> um, my husband is also anti-internet, although he did get back on Twitter for he like got off Twitter in 2016. Then he got back on, and then about three weeks ago he got back off. I think he can't handle the um, election talk on everything, so he's the just like cycle. yeah, lose leaves the internet every every four years. <laughs> It's sabbatical. Yeah, that's probably healthy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, well, I'm super like inspired by your relationship and intrigued by all that you guys have walked through. I think that um, I don't know if you ever get sick of talking about it, but just having a baby in college and then, you know, weathering that you you talked about how you focused on that being a blessing. But then to still be married all these years later and walk through so many ups and downs in your career, as well as three more babies, it's a really cool thing. So um, first of all, how did you meet? We met, uh, well, we met on my visit to see you. Um, and then we re-met when I, I transferred to see you my sophomore year. And we used to have cross-country camp up in Grand Lake. And that's where we um, really met. And um, like, the story of the beginning of our relationship is pretty funny. He sort of had a girlfriend at the time that he was, they were on the rocks, but he mm. didn't, he didn't want to ask me on a date yet. Um, cause he was, you know, he was being a gentleman, but I asked him on a date and he actually told me no. <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to wait until he, he came back around, but you know, <laughs> after that, the rest is history as they say. Um, yeah, but we met at cross country camp, which is, which is pretty cute. Oh, that is cute. So I heard you say before that, um, you know, some of this, I, I don't want this to sound the wrong way. Like some of it can be luck. Like it ended up being that he's the right person for you mm-hmm. to have a baby in college. And because, you know, a lot of people aren't getting married till they're like 30 or whatever. And, you know, you change so much as a person as you get older, right? Like you're so different now than you were when you were 19, when you got pregnant. So I'm just curious, like what kinds of things do you think made this work for you guys? Uh, I think that's a great question. I think there's a couple of things. Um, First, I think our relationship started off in basically the most stressed, like highest stakes 
make possible with bringing new life into this world, being so young, um, lots of pressures, different pressures from coaches uh, and family. And so like the, the fact that we were able to survive those first couple of years was like basically all downhill after that. I mean, nothing was more difficult. Like I said, we hardly saw each other. We were so jam packed. Brent ended up with a double degree. You know, we both were straight A college students. It was, it was a lot of high pressure and, um, every, like I, like I was saying, every minute of our day was scheduled out and because we survived that. And then after college, you know, jumping into the professional scenes, like all of those are pretty strenuous on a relationship. Um, and if we got through that, we figured we could, we could get through anything. I think on the flip side of that, we were really lucky and blessed that he was like raised the way he was. And I was raised the way I was like his mom, I think did a really good job of like, he grew up doing chores with his sisters. Mm -hmm. He wasn't really treated differently. So like the typical gender roles don't really exist in our relationship. You know, I built a deck at our last house and he folds laundry. I love it. You know, there's there's things that like <laughs> are non-traditional about both of us and I appreciate that in him and I think he appreciates that in me too that like if something, you know, if a toilet needs to be fixed, I don't wait for him to come home and vice versa. If he needs to put a hair hair in a ponytail, he'll <laughs> take care of that. And it just, it makes our relationship a lot more efficient and like uh, I would say just a lot of mutual respect. Um, and then both of us come from divorced parents. And I think we also got really lucky in that we had some really good examples of like strong marriages in our lives that maybe weren't our parents, Mm. um, that were just like older mentors who just happened to be in our lives at that moment who were supportive from the beginning, like without question. And I think without those people beyond our family, you know, without those people, it was, it, it would have been a lot harder. What, what does he do now? I know he coaches you and he still runs quite a bit. Does he work outside of that? Yeah. So he, um, he has his own business. He's a a GC, he's a contractor. And so he has his own construction company, which is a weird tangent that his life took because he was an applied mathematics major with a finance certificate. Wow. He dabbles in the stock market on the side, but, um, but he, yeah, he likes owning his own business. That suits him really well. Does that go hand in hand at all with you being a realtor? Like, does he flip houses or anything like that? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We've done a couple together. We do about one a year. Um, and uh, my clients use him for a lot of projects. A, a lot of the um, realtors in my office also, he's kind of their go-to um, contractor. So yeah, we give each other a lot of, we're, we're a big source of referrals for oh, each other. Nice. Um, yeah. How are you juggling it now with your one-year-old? Okay. So tell everybody the ages of the kids. Yep. So we have a 14 year old. She's a freshman, um, in high school. Uh, we have a fifth grader who's 10. Uh, Cassidy is five. She's just started kindergarten and then David's 14, almost 15 months. Are you guys home or is anybody in school hybrid? What's going on with that? So we were hybrid up until, um, about three weeks ago, the kindergartner got to go back full time. So that was a huge blessing because she was the one that really required, you know, the most attention from parents. Doing out. You can't online school a five-year-old. Um, it, it was basically, you know, homeschooling, which was great, but um, really put a pause on my work for those several weeks that she was doing that. So she's back full-time, which 
is great. Fifth grader just started last week, so she's on week two. And then my freshman gets to go one day a week. Okay. But she's super self-sufficient, and she's doing online, and it actually suits her pretty well. And for the older two who weren't in school for a while, they've had sports um, outside of school, which has been a huge blessing too, just to like keep them in a routine and keep them socially connected with their friends and all that. So, and then the baby is, he's home full time, but we actually, our nanny ended up, um, moving in with us kind of at the beginning of all this coincidentally. Um, so that's, she's a huge help lifesaver. That's awesome. How is this the same nanny you've had for a while or did you just bring this nanny on when you had the baby? She, no, when we had the baby. Yeah. She's new to us. I think she started in November or December of last year. I can't quite remember, but, um, but yeah, it worked out that she was looking for a new place to live and we have an apartment and it just made a lot of sense. <laughs> so we're really lucky in that way. Cause I definitely four kids working full time and then having any time to train. Um, I couldn't do it without her here. Yeah. Let's speak some truth to some moms out here who need to like remove the guilt for outsourcing things because I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Cause outsourcing can yeah. be very expensive and, and hard to like to wrap your head around sometimes, but it, it can make your life so much more doable without feeling like you're going to lose your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've talked about this before, but I, um, I basically outsource as much as possible, <laughs> grocery shopping, yeah. um, meal prep, all of it. And yeah, hiring a nanny, even, even when we were, you know, seven years ago when I wasn't really w- working full time, um, we were still hiring a nanny so that I could train, um, or go for a run or at times when we were more broke, um, going to the gym that offered free daycare, mm-hmm. uh, for two hours, you know, that's how, that's how we made it work before. Yeah, I'm like, this is the first time uh, I've ever had my little guys, my little, little guys in uh, daycare full time. And yeah. we did that because the big two were um, doing school from home virtually. Yeah. And so I was like, I can't work and facilitate their e-learning and have a two and a three-year-old at home. And now my big boys are back at school. So everybody's out of the house all day. And I'm like trying to um, come to this place in my life where I don't feel like guilty about that. Like I, you know, like I've worked so many years with like people crawling around my feet. And Mm -hmm. for once, like when I was prepping for this interview this morning, I was like, oh, my gosh, I literally can just sit in my closet for an hour and look over things and not be like, uh, changing a diaper and also like trying to make sure someone's napping for the hour that we're doing the interview. And I'm like, right. Lose the guilt on that. That's okay that you get to do this. Right. Absolutely. I have learned to lose the guilt on a lot of stuff and learn the hard way. And honestly, some of it's taken me, um, being a parent for 14 years to figure it out. But yeah, like I, I still want to prioritize, um, being true to myself. And even if it, even if it feels guilty or feels wrong, I, I, I just overcome that knowing that taking the time to do those and taking the money to do those things in the end makes me a better mom and makes our lives a little more um, peaceful. Tranquil. Yeah. yeah. So I know when I just tell my husband, I'm like, just don't tell me the numbers on like the daycare bill and all that. Like, just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sanity is worth it. 
Well, we're certainly going to get into running a little bit more, um, but just one more note on the parenting thing. Um, well, it's funny because I actually started a parenting podcast and right before this episode, I uh, like this conversation with you, I was telling my husband, I'm like, this should be such a crossover episode because it really could go on both podcasts, right? I relate to your new um, your new podcast so much. Yes. Oh, thank you. Why is everyone yelling, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm wondering about parenting kids of so, such different ages. And when you talked about the kindergarten thing and how difficult virtual kindergarten is, that made me feel a lot better because I'm I've a kindergartner and second grader doing virtual. I did have that and. The kindergartner was like 10 times harder than the second grader because it was just like expecting a kid to just look at a screen and do all, you know, like learn from their teacher. That's just not how they're wired to learn. No, it's I think the hardest part for my kindergartner was the lack of like feedback or validation because they're all on mute. Mm -hmm. And so she would answer the question the teacher wouldn't acknowledge her so she would say it louder they mm. answer loud and then then pretty much everyone was yelling and I was like why is everyone yelling and it's like <laughs> oh because your teacher has you all on mute and everybody's screaming at the computer and it's sort of chaos and you're right they're not wired to learn that way so um it was a lot of time invested and it was it was frustrating at times um it was nice in a lot of ways having them home I liked that but I really wasn't working a lot yeah <laughs> during that time so it was a trade-off Totally. A hundred percent. So how do you manage the emotions of the different ages? Because you're so spread out, like we talked about earlier, and you're at this phase where you're still like on the floor with a baby phase, but also dealing with like teenage emotions and then kindergarten emotions and fourth grade emotions. There's so many different levels here. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, our oldest, you know, our 14 year old is our guinea pig for everything. And I think she kind of knows that. Like we grew up as parents with her and, um, we learned a lot with her. She, um, I think is really well suited to being the oldest child, just her personality. Um, she's very forgiving of us and she can be pretty patient with us. Uh, she's still a teenager and that comes with lots of trials. Uh, but I just think like she's a really good kid and I just thank God that like (laughs) she's not more difficult. Um, usually, the kids seem to take turns. I don't know if they plan it and conspire, but they, they tend to take turns about when, who needs the most attention at any given time. Um, so yeah, the baby kind of throws a wrench in everything, but their, their dynamics as siblings are, are fun to watch. And like our, our focus can shift from one to the other, depending on who's going through, through what, um, I guess I don't really know if that answers your question. I don't know how we do it. Uh, <laughs> I read a lot of parenting books. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing a lot. I do a lot of research. I, I always joke with like my friends that with my teenager, I'm constantly Googling stuff like new apps that she's downloading, new acronyms that I'm reading. Like, I don't know. I'm technically a millennial and I yeah. feel so lost in, yeah. in her tech world. So, um, so yeah, I don't really know. It's, yeah, it's just wild and different every day. Yeah, you said you kind of grew up with her. And I think that's so interesting. I have been thinking a lot and talking a lot about how I am already doing things differently with my younger two than I did with my first two. Mm-hmm. And just because I feel like I've grown a lot in these past eight years of being a parent. And also just, I know more like, you know, they say like, know better, do better, right? Yeah. Um 
And it's this like double-edged sword though, because part of me is like, okay, maybe I do things differently now, but I don't think necessarily think the way I did things with my first son, um, like has affected him negatively. Like he's a wonderful little boy. Right. Um, so there's this balance of like accepting that you're going to do things differently now and that change is okay, but not having any kind of like weight that, Oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. If that makes any sense. And I'm sure has your parenting changed at all in, in those ways? Totally. I think that, um, for us, like the, the biggest way it's changed or at least, at least like, changed in, in Brent's and my point of view is like our lifestyle has changed pretty drastically in the 14 years that Kiki's been alive. So at the same time, to your point, we try not to let that actually change our parenting styles and our actions. But like when we were broke college students with a baby, like scrapping by and like, you know, grocery bills were hard to pay. Um, And I remember like not having room for a Christmas tree in our apartment versus now like having a home full of kids and, you know, like plenty of resources. And it it definitely, it changes our lifestyle. And we've tried not to let that change our parenting, but it has to be like a really conscious thing. Um, You know, Kiki, because Kiki was oblivious to the, to the fact that we were broke most of the time. She still had a wonderful life and she she didn't know any different. And that was, that was awesome. So yeah, I guess we try not, we try not to let it change, but I'm sure I know things have changed yeah. realistically, um, but yeah, we try not to let it change like our basic rules and um, like discipline rules and all of that. We try to keep that consistent. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, okay. Let's talk about running a little bit. Um, you, you know, well in 2017 after baby number three, when you did make team USA, Um, what an exciting time in your life. You're like, so, you know, you're so far into your career. You are, you know, have a full-time job. You have three kids, you make team USA. Um, and now you want to, you're still competing. Like you, you've had that fourth baby and you're still getting after it. So I'm just curious, like what keeps you driven and motivated? Because you are an unsponsored athlete, but you're competing with these athletes who um, are living that professional athlete life. Not that you're not living that life, but yours looks a little bit different than most. Right. Yes. Um, I think what makes my running sustainable is, and I will completely avoid using the word balance because that's Mm. not it, but it's, it's, um, intense focus coupled with breaks and like time away from the sport. So I don't think that what I am doing or what I was doing in the summer of 2017, like for that spring and summer leading up to the U S champs and the world champs was not a sustainable thing. I could not have done that probably for a couple more weeks after Mm. that season was over. I mean, I was, I was maxed and I was drained and I needed to take the month of October off of running. Um, so I think what's kept me in the sport for so long is those long breaks that I've had and pregnancy has sort of built those in for me. Like, I think that that's what's made my career longer in the, in the long run. But, um, that same philosophy of like intense focus on one thing and then switching hats to something else. I think that that's what keeps me in it for all areas of life. Like running gives me a break from parenting. Parenting gives me a break from working and so on. So I think that like being able to turn off the things that don't need my attention in, in that moment and stepping away from that, like makes it easier to come back to and easier to, to keep going. If that makes sense. 
Yeah. What? Tell me what your kids, what do your kids see when they see mom like working and running and competing with, you know, the be- the fastest Americans and, you know, fastest runners in the country um, competing at the Olympic trials? Like, do you have your girls been to a lot of the events? Yeah, well, they got to come to the world championships, which was super, super awesome for them. In London. Um, wow. Yeah. And you know, it was huge stadium. And I think they'd been to like a Broncos game. And that was the only thing that the older <laughs> two could compare it to it was like, Oh, it was like an NFL football game. I mean, the, the crowds, the stadium was packed. Um, I think for them, it's funny. Maybe my 14 year old sees it a little differently now, but I think that they just thought that what I did and what their dad did was just normal. Like part of what everybody mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Like I remember them, you know, my oldest going to preschool and kindergarten and like asking her classmates which events their parents do (laughs) um like like like, I don't know they just thought that that was totally normal so I don't know if they've realized yet like that what I do is any different than what anybody else does um maybe I think my 14 year old's getting there but we'll see but she's running now too isn't she yeah a little bit she um primarily as a dancer. That's her passion. Uh, we talked her into going out for cross country and she, um, she had a great, but short season. She sprained her ankle really badly. Um, but she's looking forward to track. So that, I think that'll go pretty well for her. She's really good at running and I I hope that she pursues it, but if she doesn't, I gotta be okay with that too. So totally. Yeah. Do the other kids run? My second is a gymnast. Um, She's run the Boulder Boulder like five years in a row. Well, they both, the older two both have. So I assume she'll keep doing that, but she's not, like it's not their primary sports by any means. And Cassidy, the five-year-old runs because that's how she earns TV time oh, sometimes. Nice. <laughs> what so do you do? Are you like run, go do laps around the house for TV time? Yeah, around the yard. Yeah, we'll make her do a couple laps. It's like a pretty big loop around. So we'll make her do like four laps for a half an hour. Why don't I do that? That's like, well, and the only reason I do that <laughs> is because she's so high energy, yeah. and then like watching TV just makes it worse. I'm like, you need to exhaust yourself first, and then we can do screen time. That's a really good idea. I mean, <laughs> maybe not classic parenting advice, but it's what we do. No, I think it's good. I know because I I get really lazy sometimes. Like if I'm trying to get something done and my kids are happily watching TV, I'm like. They're not hurting each other. They're not screaming. Like, just we'll go an extra hour. But even the thought of just being like, hey, you can watch more TV, but like literally go run for 10 minutes or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's solid advice. Take notes, friends. Take (laughs) notes. (laughs) Okay. So I heard you say um, that it must have been on Nicole. It was Nicole DeBoom's podcast that this was like after baby three and, you know, I'm sure there were not plans yet for baby four. You don't know what's going to happen though. Right. And I heard you say you thought your husband was holding out hope for a boy still. And now you have a little boy, three girls and a little boy. Yeah. Did you guys plan for a fourth or were you just like, ah, maybe we'll do that. Or, you know what I mean? What was that like? It was like, it was like a maybe. This is a great <laughs> question. A lot of people ask me this and it's so funny. Um, it wasn't a, we're not having any more kids. Like we would, we were okay with not having any more kids, but we didn't take any action to like make that the case. Yeah. Um, no so, vasectomies is what she's saying. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So when baby four happened, it was like, well, that makes sense. And, and we've had kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that it was probably a fourth girl. Uh-huh. And for the first time we didn't find out 
the gender, the sex, you know, we, we kept that a secret. Um, and so it was a surprise at birth, uh, which was super fun. Like so fun. I'm not, that's, I'm normally not okay with that. I like to find out. I found out at nine weeks with Cassidy with a blood test. Oh, wow. So I was really, uh, it was really hard for me. And then we floated the idea of like me finding out, but like not telling Brent and I'm a terrible liar and I knew I would blow it. So I had to, I had to not find out too. So it was super fun. Yeah. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this podcast. Prevenex is where I get all of my multivitamins, supplements, protein powder, Their Joint Health Plus is for every runner out there. The Joint Health Plus keeps your joints protected so that you can have longevity in the sport. And once you start taking the Joint Health Plus, you will notice more flexibility and comfort when you run. I've been taking this product for four months now and I'm not looking back. I will continue to take this product. My boys also love the protein powder as well as myself. We make smoothies every single day. I highly recommend it. Their protein powder is vegan and it has all kinds of great vitamins and is one of the healthiest, most nutritious protein powders on the market. That's for sure. So when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER, you can save 15% off your order. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order. All right. And if you don't know, now you know, I started a parenting podcast, really pumped about it. We are on episode eight this coming week. So I've recorded seven episodes up on that feed. We've got dietitians, we've got moms talking about connecting with their kids. We have the dad lab who talks about science experiments with your kids. And I've got some great episodes in the that are about screen time and dealing with the whole technology thing with kids. So really excited about those episodes to get them out. Make sure you go subscribe to that. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Sarah Vaughn. I want to kind of just get a picture of everyday life at your house. Your husband is also your coach. If people listening don't know, um, you're, you're a real estate agent. We already covered that he is a general contractor. You have your nanny, kids in school, all across the spectrum of ages. Is any day typical? Uh, No. There's some semblance of routine, I guess, uh, uh, on like a weekly level or maybe like a, I don't know, right now I'm doing like a nine-day training cycle. So there seems to be like Mm. every third day seems to be the same, but um there's really something new and it's lots of social calendars to manage too and um, sports and extracurriculars and um, no, no day is super typical, but I do like with them back in school, that creates a lot of normalcy mm-hmm. and um, schedule. And so the middle two, the two younger girls are in the same school for one year, which is super helpful for now. And so they get on the same bus. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're up really early in the morning, like their, their bus comes at seven fifteen, so they're up at like oh, a little wow. after six. That is early. So, I'm, yeah, it's early for them, especially because my second one is a total night owl. So mm. that's always a hard adjustment for her when she starts back to school. But yeah, they're up and on the bus, and I'm you know getting breakfast and tying shoes and making lunches with them early in the mornings. Usually, my husband runs during that time um, before work. We get them off to the bus at seven 15 and then the baby wakes up at about seven 30. He's an excellent sleeper, which is like, thank God because Seriously. he makes it completely possible, <laughs> um, for us to do any, anything that we do. Um, yeah. So he wakes up at like seven 30 and then they like tend to him for a little while. And then the nanny starts at eight 
And then that's when I usually get my first run in, whether it's a shakeout or a long run or whatever. Um, I try to time block my work around my running because I've realized that if I don't, um, stuff just gets messed up too easily. So depending on the time of year, um, kind of dictates how I prioritize running. But right now, because I'm training pretty heavily, I just, I time block that. So I just call it my morning meetings. Mm. So from eight to nine or eight to 10, that's just what I'm doing. I'll try to put out fires if I have to beforehand or answer like things that need my immediate attention before I head out the door. But I'm also really intentional about depending on what I have going on, um, leaving my phone behind and not, not checking in while I'm running and just giving myself that 90 minutes of pretending to be a professional athlete and then <laughs> coming back home and, and then diving into my work day. That's so nice though. I, it seems like that is the perfect time of day to run. You've been up for a few hours, take care of the little people, eat, do a couple emails, and it's still the beginning of the day, so you get to that good run. I, As a not person not acting like a professional athlete, <laughs> I feel like I'm like, if I can run at like 8 or 9 a.m., that feels like perfection to me because I, you know, like you said, you've done the kid stuff, and also I've done a couple things for work, and then I, you know, I don't know, I just feel productive when I can exercise at that time of day. Yeah, that's my favorite time of day. I don't really do much earlier than that. And I, I'm glad that I get to use the kids as an excuse not to run at 6 a.m. Yeah. Because somebody's got to be here getting them ready for school. Darn, guess it has to be me. <laughs> um, but like my husband runs in the dark and the yeah. cold all winter. And I, it's so it's so hard. I just don't do that. I just would prefer not to. Yeah. I my, do run at night in the dark. Like if I'm in a double, it usually happens after 7 p.m. That's so um, late. So I'll do, I choose that over the early morning. So, but, so if you're doubling like that, are you running, is that like an easy run in the evening? Do you ever save a hard run for the evening like that? No. Yeah. Uh -uh. If I know it's going to, today is weird, um, because it was so cold and it's going to warm up later and I have like a faster workout, but typically if it's just a shakeout double run, it's, it's just a couple easy miles. What's the workout later? Um, that's a good question. Sometimes I don't know until I show up, but I really? think I heard him say, yeah. It's something strength-based, so it'll be either long repeats or a tempo. So will Brent be there for the run? He's going to try. Uh, it rarely works out in the afternoons for him with his work schedule to be able to be there, but I think I think he can make it work. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that you just show up blind to a workout. It's He's pretty predictable, if I'm honest. I've been working with him since 2017, so I can I can tell you it's probably going to be a five-mile tempo, maybe some hills <laughs> before or after, and then a tempo. Yeah. Okay, so you've been working with him since 2017. So did that start before or after you made Team USA? Before, like a year before. Okay, so we're giving or him... Or nine months before, I guess. We're giving him some props for being a part of that process. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. You mentioned that you're running your high, highest mileage now that you've done in two and a half years. Um, we just, you ran that 19 mile run recently. Um, with the Olympic trials being postponed to 2021, like what are your sights set on in the immediate future? I need to, because I'm coming off of a pregnancy, I have no qualifiers for anything. Um, so I have to get I have to just start over. Um, so I need an Olympic trials qualifier for whatever event that's going to be. Um, and then obviously an Olympic standard as well. So right now I'm looking at racing, trying to figure out what's going on. Like there's rumblings of some races in about five weeks, um, the first weekend in December. So I'm going to try to get in one of those. It'll be a 5k 
um, which just kind of tends to where my fitness is right now and kind of where I'm progressing as an athlete. So I think I'll try to get, like, I guess the immediate goal would just be to get the Olympic trials standard. And are, are you going to do that? Try to do that in the 15? In the 5k, I think the five and then in the spring and then in the spring, I think, um, more focused on the, on the 1500. Okay. I was wondering with your mileage and like that, I mean, 19 miles is like a really hearty long run. And I was, I was talking about this with Glenn, my husband before the conversation. And I was like, do people that race the 15 do 19 mile long runs? That seems so long. Well, I've been doing this sport for a long time and it's just sort of the next natural progression for me. I mean, like, what do you change in training after you've been training for the same event for decades? (laughs) I mean, something's got to change and you know, just, it's just, it's been a natural progression for me. It hasn't been like all of a sudden I went from 14 mile long runs to 19 and it's more like fitting in more miles in the same amount of, um, time on my feet. Like, like a two hour long run used to be 16 miles and now it's 18 or 19. Yeah. And I was also wondering, like, maybe, you know, say if you're running 60, 70 miles a week, maybe some 1500 meter runners don't run 19 mile long runs, but you're just breaking that up into two different runs. You know, you're you're doubling more or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, I guess, like my strength has grown so much post-collegiately. I think I came out of college really underdeveloped on that side of things and just the coaching I had and the way I was trained and it made sense. But like when Brent started taking over training, it was like the thing that I felt like I could still develop that was really underdeveloped. I mean, he started coaching me when I was already 30. So I was like, what else do we have to do? What other tools are in the toolbox here? And I felt like, or we both felt that that's like the one area of my fitness that I could still really improve and that there was room to grow. So we're pushing that envelope now and yeah, it's, it seems to be working out. (laughs) So we'll see. Do you think you'll ever run a marathon? I used to think that I would never run a marathon because I used to hate long runs because I was bad at them and I would always get dropped. Like every weekend at CU, I would suffer through, you know, 12 miles. And then post-collegiately, it was always like the worst day of the week with whatever training group I was training with because I was just bad at them and I didn't enjoy them. Over the years, that's changed a little bit. They're still not my favorite thing. If I have good company, they're they're better. Um, but I think like between Shalane winning New York and Des winning Boston, I was like, wow, that does sort of look like fun. <laughs> I've done, I did one 20 mile long run a couple of years ago um, with Allie Kiefer after she'd gotten fifth uh, at New York. And I hung with her, you know, I ran 20 miles with her at Magnolia, um, you know, up west of Boulder. And I was like, okay, maybe I am sort of cut out for this. So I think at some point in the next five years, I would love to give a competitive marathon a go, but I would have never said that. Like, three years ago. Well, it's so cool too. I mean, I, it seems like people are just crazy excelling at the marathon in their late thirties, early forties. I mean, it's pretty crazy to see what some of these women, Roberta Groner, um, Sinead Diver, like there's all these women that just run so fast and they're like 39, 40, 41, 42. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how old Shalane was when she won New York. Was she 36 or something? She was 37. Yeah. 37. I mean, that's wild. And you're, you're 34. Yep. Yeah. You're still so young. (laughs) (laughs) Spring chicken. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, what does your husband think about that? The marathon for you? He, I, I, um, I, 
floated the idea to him a couple of weeks ago, actually. And he said that he would have to do some more research. <laughs> 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 He's like, he feels like his coaching specialty is really in the 5K, mm-hmm. um, which is lucky for me because like the 1500, I would say is 90% 5K training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with between the coaches that he's had and the experience between the both of us, um, he could coach the 1500 really well. I think he's been coached by the best 5K coaches in the world from Wetmore to Jerry Schumacher um, that I think that he has a really good handle on what that needs to look like for me. So the transition to the marathon he was like just give me give me some time so I can research this so I can figure out how to tweak the training which probably means like a phone call to Jerry and (laughs) you know within maybe a few other coaches so yeah oh that's good what so you think so his coaching style for you he's pulling from lots of different coaches that he's learned from over the years that have coached him Mm -hmm, definitely yeah like uh it's very wet more in a way that like it's mileage progression and like pretty, um, Lydiard styles. Like we, this time of year is definitely base training, long reps, um, big long runs. But then a lot of the nuance in my workouts comes from Jerry's training. And we, you know, we were out there for two years and, um, just learned a ton, mostly for me. Like I learned how hard women could train. Like I didn't think kind of like you're saying, I didn't think it was appropriate for a 1500 meter runner to do two hour long runs, but being with that training group and watching like how Shalane trained and like how much she could handle and watching her progress into that. Like it just really opened my eyes to um, not really like count anything out or rule anything out when it came to training. Do you run Jerry miles? I do. Yeah. You do? Really? I do. Yeah. So I think last week I, um, I ran like 92 miles or something, but in my training log, it was like 89. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah. If anybody's been listening for long enough, they've heard me interview enough Bowerman Track Club women and men that um, you know what a Jerry Mile is. But basically, a Jerry Mile is just eight minutes of running. That's one mile, right? Yep, eight minute piece. And I didn't own a GPS watch until around 2017. um, And I really wish I'd never even bought one. Really? You didn't have a GPS watch until 2017? Yeah, until... Until I used it a couple of times that summer for tempo runs, like out on an unfamiliar route. But mostly we just use routes or the track, you know, route, marked routes or the track. So, um, and if, if we're counting it as eight minute miles anyway, it was almost better not to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if you're doing like intervals on the track, you just keep track of your splits or whatever. Exactly. Yep. Would you get rid of it? I'm so addicted to it now. It would be really hard. I joined Strava like in March or Uh April or whenever, you know, lockdown was because I was like, this is so fun. And it's like this whole, it opened the door to like this whole other community out Mm -hmm. there. I'm, I'm, I will fully acknowledge that it would be very difficult for me to get rid of it at this point. What do you have? Garmin, Koros? What do you wear? I have both. I have Garm. I have a little Garmin that I got with some airline miles in 2017. <laughs> we have this. Um, uh, let's just let me just say that you competed on Team USA in 2017, <laughs> and you bought your own GPS watch with airline miles. Yes. Come on, Garmin. Someone send this girl a watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, as as my. Um, parents told me like the cheap never leaves like yeah. it's not it's not that I didn't have a spare $90 to spend yeah. on watch but I could use those airline miles and make it really purposeful uh-huh. um and then I I 
thought that I lost my GPS watch, my my cute little Garmin, because the baby was playing with it. It's disgusting, but he likes to chew on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I probably shouldn't let him because um, it's really gross now that I think about it. But he was playing with it on the floor and I saw him and I thought I should get that before he loses it. And then the next day I went to go for my run and I couldn't find it. So I um, ordered a Koros mm. and and I like that as well. But then, of course, the day it came in the mail, I found my old Garmin. So. Well, now you have a backup. That yeah, the baby exactly. can chew on. Exactly. Um, do you track like your strength workout or like your strength training sessions or anything on Strava? I, I haven't yet. I haven't even experimented with logging that. Um, but I keep track of it in my training log. Like yeah. my, I handwrite. I'm very old fashioned in that way. Like even for work when I time block and schedule things, I handwrite everything um, with a pen and paper. What do you use for your training log? Uh, just a, just a daily planner. I'm super curious now because I'm actually in the process of maybe designing a planner with my friend who's a dietitian, like a training nutrition yes. log. Um, but do you do like just a regular daily planner and then have like your grocery list and, and life um, appointments and stuff on there as well? I have two different, yeah. <laughs> two different planners. Yeah. So I have my like work um, and family scheduling one and then I will schedule my runs on there and then I'll usually put like either 90 minutes or two hours or however long I'm going to estimate that that run is going to take me. But then my actual training log is literally just in a lined notebook. Okay. And I just draw lines for each day and, um, and just like put the details of the workout and count up weekly mileage and things like that. I am like an over planner buyer and I don't even know that I'm like the right person for this. Cause every time I get a new <laughs> planner, it's so exciting. But then I'm like, then I forget to write in it or, and my husband's always like, you do not need to buy one more planner. You have like 19 calendars and you use two of them. Um, right. So I'm trying to think of a way to like streamline everything into one, but I like what you're saying. Cause I oftentimes feel like on my calendars, I want to put everything on the calendar, but then certain things do need more details. So you just use a separate notebook for that. Yeah, I do. But I'm with you. I'm guilty too. I bought a bullet journal mm-hmm. and it was the dumbest purchase I made. I, I like filled it all out and I, I did like day one and then I haven't looked at it again since. Yeah. My it plan- goes back to the mom guilt. I don't need to know. <laughs> I don't need to know what I did or didn't do because it's just on to the next thing. So bullet journaling, not for me. Yeah. And I always feel like it's going to help me be more organized so I don't forget things or, you know, make sure I get all my sponsor stuff in for the podcast and everything. And I just, I end up only using it half the time. So. And for me, it's just another task at the yes. end of the day. I'm like, I don't have time for this. So if I got the kids to soccer on time and I got my miles in and I didn't miss a client appointment, I don't need to like check boxes for that. I just dip. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Okay. I wanted to ask you about your, um, nine day training cycle. I love the idea of that. I, I kind of, when I trained for New York last fall, I can't believe it's already been a year. Um, I kind of just put myself on a 10 ish day cycle just because I felt like, um, I was a year postpartum and I, I knew that like I, my body was not going to be happy doing long runs every seven days. Like I just wasn't ready for that. So I kind of, it was every like nine to like 14 days really is what I did. Um, but talk to us about that nine day cycle that you're kind of following now. Yeah. Well with you along those same lines, like I'm older now and I'm doing more mileage in general on the in-between days that aren't long runs. So I don't, I feel like 
I don't need a long run every seven days. But also just logistically, family-wise, mm-hmm. it makes a lot more sense for me to do a long run on a Monday morning than a Sunday morning. You know, Sundays we do church as a family. We try to hang out. Um, if I have a workout, that usually throws a wrench in our in our Sunday. Um, so it, it's nice in that way. Like, it, it, I miss having company and I miss joining groups. That's like the trade-off, I would say. But for me, um, what it looks like is a workout and then two days easy and then a workout two days easy and then a long run two days easy. Um, so the workouts are more interval based and, and more like race specific. And then, yeah, that long run every nine days, it seems to work out really well. I feel like when I do, when I get into the track season, it changes a little bit because mileage backs off a little bit. So I'm able to do maybe two workouts and a long run in a seven day period. Um, but right now with base training, uh, it just, it just makes a lot of sense and it's hard to, at first, I would say it's hard to let go of that typical training, seven-day training program mm-hmm. in your mind because that's what I've done for years and years. Um, but after you do it, it, it's nice. It's really nice. Yeah, and I, I too, like I love having Saturday mornings free. Like I, I can't tell you, like, you know, I'm sure most people listening, how many years have you spent – doing 15 mile long run on a Saturday morning, like try to get it in before the kid stuff starts happening or before your day starts, whatever your day looks like. Um, and I almost feel like I would rather get up at four and like just be done with it on Monday than have it hanging over my head Saturday when everybody's like home and doing, needing to do all the things they need to do. Um, cause I do realize it's a luxury. Not everybody can go run it, you know, Monday at nine because the, some people work eight to five, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, and it's, it's nice to, I typically did them on Sunday mornings and it's also nice to like have a little relaxation Saturday night and not be so worried about it because, you know, I'm pretty structured throughout the week. Um, but Saturday night, you know, if we want to share a bottle of wine and, and, sleep in a little bit like that makes the pressures off for the Sunday morning performing every Sunday morning. So, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned needing to get that qualifier still. And I remember a few weeks ago, maybe it was months now time is just like blurred (laughs) together and you posted like it was a kind of a burn that there was a race in your backyard that you weren't invited to. Yeah. Talk about that. I mean, that's basically it. It was, it was weird. Uh, I was, planning on going to Nashville and about two weeks before I got cold feet about traveling. Mm. Um, I didn't feel quite confident yet to get on a plane and then come home and not be able to self quarantine and jump right back in with the family and the baby and all of that. And I was still nursing and just a lot of things like it just didn't logistically make sense for me to travel, um, which it didn't for a lot of pros and like elite athletes in Boulder. And so there was this race happening the same weekend um, and then at the end of the day, when I talked to the meet director, it, it seemed like it was just an overlook oversight. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It seemed silly, but it happened. And the, like some of the women ended up really running really fast and, and that's wonderful. So I hope if it happens again and it works out with my schedule that I'd be able to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, I missed out on that one, which was, I guess it's, it's, it seemed to be, fundamentally a problem of me not being in a group, an official training group. That was the, um, the reasoning from the meet director was that groups were informed of what was happening, but because I'm an individual athlete on my own, I didn't catch wind or, or get informed. 
So how do you make sure that like that doesn't happen again and that you don't get like not get the invite because you're not with, you know, whatever XYZ groups? You know, I'm just kind of used to it at this point. I've been on my own for a long time. This isn't like the only instance it's happened. There are these meets happening in December that I have been like trying to track down the information on. I I work with um, an agent, so I largely defer for getting into races that I know nothing about. I'll defer to them. Um, But I'm also like, I don't know. I'm just kind of used to it. It's a lot of, um, you know, not having a sponsor and not being part of a training group. You just sometimes things fall through the cracks. Not having a sponsor, like, have you, like, over the years that you've been competing at such a high level, like, do you seek sponsors out? Like, what does that look like? For a while, I gave up, I gave up like a year and a half ago. Essentially, every single year, I'd go to the same companies and ask them the same thing every year. Hmm. And I would get told no from the same people every year. Hmm. And... I finally got to the point where I was like, you know, um, the system is pretty broken the way that certain shoe companies value and place value on, on athletes. It's not transparent. Even if it's kind of obvious, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm kind of over it. And for a long time, it was like a money thing for me. Like I wanted money to be able to travel and I didn't want to have to take out of the family budget to, to do that. And like you were, like we talked about at the beginning, it's like a lot of mom guilt, like for me to take money to spend, you know, three, four, $500 to race every other weekend all summer, it seemed hard for me to deal with. It was hard for lots of years. Um, so lots of mom guilt with that, but like, and I, and I just wanted somebody to like believe in me and, and, and show that by writing me a check, <laughs> which is essentially what sponsorship is. Yeah. But after being told no, even by people who are like, oh, we're your biggest fan, <laughs> but we still don't want to invest in you. Um, after that, I'm like, it, it, I just made up my mind that the the money part didn't matter anymore, mm-hmm. that I was going to make enough money in my job that, you know, if it meant working a little, like a little extra each weekend, a few extra hours or working, taking on a few new clients, whatever that looked like to get to the point where I could self sponsor and and, and support myself and not feel guilty about it anymore. Um, And that's kind of what happened after 2017. It got really frustrating after after years of being told no. Um, I don't know, but I didn't know what else to do. So now I just, it's not about money. It's still, I would still like to be a part of something bigger than myself and like sort of like I I get envious if I'm completely honest about the um team aspect of it yeah you know like it looks cool to put on a uniform and um like connect with other women and like share mutual experiences with like quote-unquote teammates that are that have the same sponsor as you so that aspect of it I would still love to be a part of um but the I'm not I'm not gonna make money on it I I'm fine with that at this point. I don't care anymore, but it's taken me a long time to get there. I'm sure I can't imagine how, how did you keep going back? I mean, it's like, I think like it's so hard when someone tells, you no. it's like, it's embarrassing. You feel like you want to crawl into a hole and you feel like, at least for me, if, if I get told no for one thing or another, I feel like people probably think, who does she think she is? You know, like, why does she think she get deserves this? How did you keep, how did you keep mustering up the courage to ask the same people? I kept going back because I kept getting faster. Yeah. Like I kept doing the things that they said I needed to do to get their money. Yeah. (laughs) 
So like if I hadn't done it yet, then I would go do it. And then I would come back to them and say, hey, I did it. And they would say, well, you know, no again. <laughs> so then I would have another year. I mean, I've never not gotten faster in a competitive season. So I just, I thought at some point I would reach that threshold where they would be like, hey, yeah, no, now I see it. I get it. And um, let me invest in you. So it wasn't really like, like if I had started getting slower or <laughs> whatever, I don't know, like I would probably have stopped asking, but it really wasn't hard for me because to me it was like, oh, I, they asked me to do this and they would start paying me and I did that. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Here I am. And it was, it was still no. So you still have like a fire, like regardless of sponsorship, you still have a fire to compete and, and make a team and, and do all the things. Um, what what are what are your biggest dreams for the next couple years? You're you're done with babies. Done with babies. Yes, it <laughs> definitely happened. Oh, it happened. You're really <laughs> like, done. Yeah, we are. We're very done. Well, I wouldn't say we're done with we're done with having our own babies. Oh, we're so used to having like a full house and yeah. kids all the time that I don't really see that ever changing. We might take some breaks after David, um, but I think that adoption and fostering is definitely in our future. Um, we're just cut out to be parents our yeah. whole lives, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we're, we're done having, I'm done being pregnant. Um, oh, I feel that I'm the deepest <laughs> to my core. <laughs> yeah. So goal, I mean, goals, it's, it's a new Olympic year next year and I've never made an Olympic team. Um, so that's, that's always been the dream for as long as I could remember. So, so that's definitely like the long term, or I guess the goal for the next year. And, and what do you say to people like, you know, like it's a competitive field, right? Like, and you're, you're jumping in mama for work full time unsponsored and you are like getting after it, living, like living this dream. Like I'm, I am going to go for this. Do you just like pump your chest up and say, I I can do this just like anybody else? Um, I think that it's like, it just, it, it's not going to go away um, until it does. Like I've talked to other athletes about this who they just tell me like they know when their time is up, they know when they're done. And it was just really obvious to Mm -hmm. them. And I just not ever reached that point. Like to me, um, you know, the, the daily ins and outs of training um, are still my me time and still like, I still enjoy that part of it. But I couldn't do that every day without having a race on the schedule. Like, mm-hmm. I still want to compete. So, yeah. So, that fire doesn't go away. And I, especially from other realtors and other moms, they're like, how do you and why do you want to keep <laughs> doing this? And, yeah, it's it's just because it hasn't gone away. Like, I still think I have more to give to this sport. And, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier, like, if I start getting slower or something. And that's not it either. Like, that's not the turning point for me. It's just that, like, I still feel like I... I want to keep competing and I, I love lining up. I miss lining up on the start line. Um, so I don't know when that goes away, then, then I'll be done, but it's still there pretty strong. Yeah. And you're like super fit right now, right? Like you feel like you're one, at one of the fittest places you've been. I think strength wise. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's so exciting. Um, okay. So you're going to be looking to possibly race in December. Is that what we're hearing? Yeah, I think so. So do you, do you ever run with other people though now? Like, do you train with anybody? I try to, when it lines up, there's, um, there's lots of really fast women in Boulder. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I do. My schedule can change at any given moment, but if I can, if I can schedule and stick to it and meet somebody, I definitely will. Yeah. Um, I enjoy 
running with other women and the social part of it. Do you feel like when runners come to Boulder looking for a house, they come to you to be their realtor? I saw you, you helped with Amelia Boone's uh, house. Yes. I've helped lots of runners and I love, love, love that part because it's funny in real estate, like it's almost like I'm living in two different worlds. Like a lot of my clients don't even know that I run at all. Um, and so to have the runner clients is super, super fun for me. Um, and then I even lately, especially have been helping people find rentals, which isn't something I normally do, but Mm. just to get people settled in Boulder and get here, um, to be able to train here and enjoy our city. Um, that, that makes me really happy. Yeah. I mean, buying a house in Boulder, like that's, that ain't cheap. Uh, no. And especially (laughs) if you're a young runner, like on a budget, it's, it's a hard market to break into for sure. Yeah. Um, I think, did you, did you say you used to live in, oh no, no, you were in Portland, weren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking Flagstaff, but you know, all these, all the like running Mecca cities run together in my mind. Right. Exactly. I just remember Shayla Houlihan on this podcast saying that, uh, Boulder is the bougie Flagstaff. Like it's just so much more expensive to live there. It's that's pretty accurate. I've spent some time. I've spent some time in Flag, and I would say that's a good. Um, that's a good comparison. <laughs> um, all right, Sarah. Well, I like. I could ask you a million parenting questions. I always love talking to parents too, who have like are a few steps ahead of me. You know. And, yeah. Oh, totally. You know, they're you're just, a resource. You got to. You got to use those people. Yeah, like soak it up like a sponge. Um, but let's go ahead and wrap with end of podcast questions. And I hope everybody, you know, if you're not already following Sarah, follow her because this is such an exciting time for you. Like, I I feel like when you know you're done having babies, you're like, my body is mine. Like, yes, forever now. (laughs) Yes. And done nursing now, too. It's it's I'm free. (laughs) Yeah. Um, any words of wisdom, though, real quick? to to like a mom you know regardless of what kind of kind of runner she is how fast how slow how many miles she runs like someone who is in it with the pregnancy days and postpartum days any advice you have for those moms yeah I think like the biggest message is to just be patient and really forgiving of your body you know you just did something really really big and are still you know if you're nursing or whatever still recovering like just give yourself lots of grace and and don't fall into the comparison trap. Um, you know, one person's path doesn't make sense for, for somebody else. And even for me, like among pregnancies, they all those postpartum journeys looked different. Um, so especially this time around, I had to remind myself that patience is fine and it'll click someday. Um, even if, if it's a lot further out than what I was hoping for. Did you find that the older you get, that your pregnancies were more difficult? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's just the biology of it. It's a lot easier on your body to have a baby when you're 20. Yeah. Yeah. I was 29 when I had my first and 35 when I had my fourth. And I mean, even that six year difference, like was huge to me. And maybe that's because I was tired from having three little kids. Well, it's the same, like it's one and the same. Yeah. It's, it's cumulative. Um, but you're, yeah, it takes a toll on your body, but also, you know, the, the years definitely add up too. And, you know, I carried differently. I wasn't able to run the same through all of them. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was different each time. Yeah. I think that's a huge message. Like just because you run through your pregnancy the first time doesn't mean that, I mean, you might have to stop running at 20 weeks, at 10 weeks, whatever it is on, on another baby. And um, to not only not compare yourself to other people, but to compare yourself to your previous self. Exactly. Bingo. Yeah. 
All right, Sarah, what is one thing professionally or personally that you would like to do that you have not done yet? Um, so professionally, well, like I think we talked about, I mean, making an Olympic team is definitely something I've never done before. Um, and then personally, I, I'm, I always like to have these really big goals. Uh, so I, I, this is like one of those things that like probably won't happen for years and years and years, but something I've been thinking about lately. Um, we were just talking about Flagstaff. I think, and comparing Boulder to other altitude meccas um, mm-hmm. for distance runners, one thing I would love to do, or at least help do, um, is have an accessible, either public or like club-oriented um, indoor fa- indoor track facility. Um, so I don't know what that what that's going to look like or how that's going to happen, but I think that Boulder is missing out on a lot of professional training groups. Um, not getting to enjoy training here in the winters because we don't have access uh, to an indoor training facility. So it's really hard to get ready for indoor track seasons and even outdoor track seasons in Boulder um, without without that. So that's and your husband dream, build that. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, we've been I've been researching um, the commercial spaces, and um, it's gonna take it's gonna take a lot. But I think it would just be so cool to have that because it's not it's not gonna happen any other way unless it's like not, not related to the university. So, I mean, if there's a community anywhere that would get behind and support it, you would think that you could find that support in Boulder. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple of people who kind of have the same idea. So if we could just get all on board and kind of pool resources, um, I would love, love to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, I think, the obvious answer is, you know, is making the world team in, in 2017. Um, oh, sorry. That's background, okay. Baby background. Um, I think, though, like personally, what what's maybe more important to me that we sort of talked about earlier was like not becoming a statistic and kind of like overcoming the rough start that um, that I had to parenthood and and being able to graduate. And then I'm, you know, I'm really proud of my relationship with my husband and just kind of beating a lot of odds um, That's awesome. in that sense. Yeah. We need, we all need marriage advice from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an open book. <laughs> um, what is a nonprofit you like to support? Um, I have a lot of nonprofits that, that, that we give to that we really believe in. Most of them are helping, um, children and families. Um, but one thing that's really near and dear to my heart that I would love to turn into a nonprofit is our scholarship fund at CU. Um, so right now I don't have the bandwidth or, or wherewithal to create a foundation. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe someday I will, I'll do that. Um, but right now we have an endowment at CU that helps, um, parenting undergrads and it helps them pay for childcare. Um, that is so cool. Yeah, it's 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 pretty fun. So yeah, I think like we research and you know you when you're looking for someone to give to, um, there's a lot of great things out there to give to. But that one's just really personal. Why does that make me want to cry? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. We've been doing it for a couple of years. We've been able um, to help two women, and I just like it's just. I hope that it changes the trajectory of their lives and and their children's lives. So. Like I said, I would love for that to be a foundation so that these students can go to school wherever they need to go. 
Um, but right now it's at CU and it's available and I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about it. That is like the coolest thing ever. What, how did you even, how does that even happen? Like your endowment that you have, how did you even start that process? Well, sometimes I think like, like the philanthropist in me and like this other opportunity just intersected and presented itself in a really obvious way. Like I was looking for a place to give money. I believe in tithing. Um, and like I said, we, we give to a lot of organizations, but like nothing that really, um, struck me in the way that like, oh, this, this makes a, a lot more sense to actually just create this, um, this scholarship made specifically for people very similar to us. Um, so it helped, or I got help in a lot of ways. I had a friend who, um, is in the fundraising department at CU. So she set me up with the right people to talk to. And really they just, they took the reins. They did the paperwork. They helped me filter through the applications. They do all of the logistic stuff. I just write them a check. So it's, it's wonderful. Um, they've put me in touch with both of our recipients and, you know, I'm still, I'm still in touch with them and it's, it's really special. So it just sort of like, yeah, it just intersected like this passion and this, this need. Um, and there it was. That is so cool. That's so cool. I hope that that inspires people to give back to whatever area in their life that, you know, they walked through. That was hard. That is awesome. You're like their men. You can be their mentor mom now too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been super fun to like create relationships with them too. Ah, that's awesome. Okay. Well, I look forward to when that becomes like a big national thing and it's across like all these universities across the country. That'd be so cool. Thank you. Yes. Someday. But also I think that's a good message for everybody to take note. Like even if you have this like big dream to make it some big massive thing, like start small and start where you can and do what you can at that time. And exactly. Right. Like, don't feel like, Oh, I can't do that because like, that's so much work. Like just, just take that like one step. And the fact that you're changing those two, you've already changed those two women's lives and hopefully in a positive way, change the trajectory of their lives. That's just like the coolest thing ever. And I will say to couple along with that, like I was really nervous to hand over the reins on something that I felt like was my baby, mm. but I'm so glad I did because these people were total professionals and they knew exactly what they were doing and like, they've just made it so easy. That's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. Uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, that's a good question. I've got a couple of books on my nightstand. Um, I've been reading, I'm trying to look at the author. It's called Darling, You Can't Do Both and Other Noise, mm. um, which is sort of like it's a little bit I haven't ripped through it because it's sort of like preaching to the choir. A lot of it's like, yeah, sister, I already knew that. Yep, yep. <laughs> but it's good. It's really good to hear um, fresh perspective. Um, and then I think the most recent book I finished was called The Great Alone. or the, Yeah, The Great Alone. I just read that. That's so random. It's I, I'm not a big fiction reader either, so um, it's not – it's not usually my cup of tea, but, um, the same friend who helped me with the scholarship foundation coincidentally gave me that book, um, for my birthday. So it's good. I feel like people probably get annoyed. Cause I always, every time someone says I'm a big reader. So I, people say they're reading a book and I'm like, I just read that or whatever. <laughs> but I, I feel like that's really random because I don't even think that's a new book. 
And no, it's not new. Yeah. I was literally at the <laughs> library and I, my two big kids were looking at books and I knew I had like three minutes before everybody was going to lose their crap. And I was like, okay, fiction, I'm going to look for a good book. And I just, I know Kristen Hanna, I know the author. So I'm like, okay, that looks decent. Grab oh, it nice. and go. So it wasn't like, yeah. you know, so that's so random that we both just finished that book. And it's random that I've even finished a book recently. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. So, yeah. <laughs> Did you like it? I mean, I liked it, but it was kind of, it wasn't my favorite. It's it's haunting in a way. Like I I would um I would read it before bed and like kind of dream about it. Um, uh. but yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I I don't read a lot of fiction. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that one. So yeah, yeah, she she's a really good writer. Um, I think we're reading. Actually, I think I picked that out for my book club. I have like this super informal book club with the podcast, and we're reading Anxious People next by Frederick Bachman. Oh, nice. Yeah. But there, I, I just put a hold at the library and there's like a 52 person waiting list. So I'm oh, gosh. probably just going to buy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. What? Let's see. Oh, who is someone fun, motivating or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? I've been so lucky that I've actually been able to have coffee or, and or train with um, a lot of the people that I really look up to. Um, like even in college when, when I was pregnant with Kiki and like trying to come back and there weren't a lot of like really, um, like prominent mom runners out there. Um, Shane Culpepper happened to be living and training in Boulder still. And I was able to like connect with her. Um, and I was just so glad she was like accessible and easy to talk to. Um, but I think like maybe someone I haven't met, I'm like, a few degrees separation from both of these women. Um, but Liz McColgan, I race her daughter all the time. But Liz, I would say, was like... You race her daughter? Yeah. Elish uh, is a 1,500 5K runner. And I, we've raced at several meets. So I'm sure... I actually think maybe I've met Liz. But um, to me, she's like... She's just such a badass. Like, she did the thing that, like, is a little more common now. But she, like, won the World Championship 10K when her baby was less than a year, I think. Wow. And... It was in the 90s when it wasn't, like, a thing that people talked about, and she just did it anyway. And I'm sure she faced a lot of I, – I, I would just love to ask her all these questions, but I'm sure she faced a lot of, like, people discouraging her. And um, I know she had issues with sponsors, and I just – like, I would just love to pick her brain. And same with Sonia O'Sullivan. Like, I, I think she kind of had the same story where she came back from pregnancy and just, like, didn't care what anybody said. She was just like, this is what I'm doing, even if it seems crazy to you all some badass moms. Yeah, exactly. Um, what is your one message to send to our audience, the world? Um, <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to condense that, um, that message. I think that like one thing I've always tried to present and be really transparent about online is that like, it's not perfect balance. And I really would hope that I don't give somebody this facade or like show somebody this image of, seeming like I have it all and that I have it all figured out because it's very, um, lopsided my life, my day, my hours, it's all, you know, it's all over the place. And, um, just not having, and not having balance and being okay with that. Mm. Like not, not everything takes up equal space on my plate and it's constantly switching around. So yeah, I think that's it. And, and to, and to maybe not, um, not lose sight of, this is like mom specific, but not lose touch with your original self, like who you were before you were a mom, because being a mom changes you in so many ways. And that's 
unavoidable and, and also welcome. You know, I love being a mom and how it's changed me. But I think for me, that connection to my original self is running and making time and like holding space for that person always will serve me, whether I'm competing or not. Um, I just think it's super important to stay in touch with that. Like we were talking about marriage advice, how it's important to go on date nights with your spouse. Like I think it's important to go on date nights with yourself and your original self and do those things that like make you feel most like you. I love that. That's so awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Hey friends. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks Sarah for coming on the show. Let's be best friends. That was so fun. You all make sure you go follow Sarah. She's S-M-E Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N over on Instagram. Give her some support. Cheer her on as she trains and works so hard. It's going to be so exciting to see what she does in the coming years. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And we have a Facebook group and page as well. Don't forget to check out my new parenting podcast. Why is everyone yelling? And I'm just really grateful for all of you. So thank you so much for being here. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.